0: I don't know I was thinking through those words this isn't part of the sermon but uh, you know his name is like honey his his word is a lamp he, he's like water to the soul like these these aren't like necessarily things that we use in our vocabulary every day I know we're singing scripture and it's appropriate but man when you can begin to what what really is Thomas saying when he when he wrote those words he's saying you know uh Lord you're the you're the google to my questions right he's saying you're the easy chair at the end of a long day you're the ice cream in my summertime like this is the things that he's he's singing to the lord and and i would encourage you that uh, that we should be working to see Jesus Christ as the same way in our lives like lord you're you're everything to me i love you you're you're my pillow at night when i lay down it's just the just the ability to be creative like that and see god uh, in, in that way, and so uh, I was just—I mean, like, Lord, you're the—you're the coffee to my morning, right? How many of us get in the morning? You have to have your cup of coffee, right? Like, like, Lord, you're—you're the, you're the coffee to my morning, right? So, anyway, uh, I encourage you to give yourself to the Lord in that way, and that is a form of prayer and meditating and spending time with the Lord in the morning, just—just just reflecting for you who the Lord is—is is to you. Uh, anyway. Let's move on now. Good to see you this morning. Good to see those online. Got a few new faces in the house, so welcome. Last week, we looked at our will. Where Jesus was in the garden, he said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. And we realized that that's a tension in our lives. The ability to put our will aside and adopt the will of God for our lives um, and we talked about that. And so we recognize, though, that our will is just the ability to make choice and that there are influencers that influence our will. And some of those influencers are our mind, just the things that we think about, the things we believe. It's our, our body, uh, whether we're hungry. Uh, even the psalmist just said, right, your are water to my soul. Like, you just thirst, right? So there's, there are needs of the body. And then there's social context that just influence our will, our, our decisions. And if we look at if we change or we modify these influencers, we'll be better able to adopt God's will as our will and be successful as carrying that out. Why is this even important that we talk about it? It's because as followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we seek, we desire to emulate, we desire to be, reflect, be like Christ in our thoughts in our words, and in our actions. And one of the things Christ did was he came to do the will of the Father, right? And so, therefore, it should be our desire to do the will of God, uh, the Father. And so, um, anyway, we talked about that last week, and uh, this week we're going to talk about another influencer that we really need to look at that we didn't look at last week, and it's an influencer that every single New Testament writer writes about in some way, shape, or form so it's a very important one. And so let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8 says, "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 tells us this: And do not give the devil a foothold. These are two just scriptures I'm giving you just to point to the fact that uh, the devil is an influencer. And we need to understand that. And um, I want to define what the word devil here means. It seems almost uh, understandable. It's a diabolos, and we equate that with the devil, but the the Greek uh, writers at the time, diabolos meant something different than a red-horned guy holding a pitchfork, okay? And it's this. Diabolos, in Greek writing, was a slanderer or a false accuser, and it really was describing somebody who unjustly criticized to hurt and condemn and to sever relationships, so we understand diabolos to mean the devil, and rightfully so, because when we add, uh, 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 we change it from an adjective to a noun, it becomes a person, and that's what we've, we've done. But when this was written, it, was used, it used this word as an adjective, a slanderer, a false accuser. So what is that, how does that translate for us? What does that mean? What is the devil about? While names in Scripture are important, We just sung about your name, uh, Jesus, and it describes a lot of times activity, it describes who they are, it describes purpose, it describes a lot of things. So the devil is a slanderer and an accuser with the intent of him of severing your relationships with God and others. I don't know about you, but every time the devil's active in my life, usually there's a result in being farther away from the Lord or I have a broken relationship with somebody I know. That's usually the outcome, right? No? No? Okay. So the devil's will is to destroy you by severing your relationships with God and with others. You say, well, how does that destroy me? Well, first of all, your relationships with others, it's usually the people who care for you, who love you, who are friendly to you, who you do life with. And when you sever those relationships, it's painful. Right? Somewhere along the lines, it hurts when those relationships are severed. And the real uh, destroying happens when your relationship with the Lord is severed, and then you don't spend an eternity with the Lord. And so he's ultimately destroyed you for eternity, which is what Jesus came uh, to, to change. So this is the devil's will. The devil's will is to destroy you. And he does that through being a slanderer and an accuser unjustly criticizing in order to damage you. So, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, we looked at verse 8. The first part of verse 9 says this, Resist him, standing firm in the faith. And then James uh, 4.7 writes uh, as well. These are all really famous scripture verse. You can turn there. James 4.7. Booth, is it? James 4.7. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee. So scripture just says, hey, listen, uh, when the devil comes at you and he's accusing and he's slandering and the, the way to overcome him is to resist him, meaning don't give in to the slander, don't give in to the accusations, don't give in to these things, resist him and you will overcome. And then he uh, Peter actually adds a promise to it in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And he says this, the, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So Peter says, listen, the devil is prowling around looking to destroy you. Resist him. And... After this time of resisting the devil, God will restore you. He will strengthen you. He will make you steadfast. You basically will grow because of it. This is God's promise. In my Bible, I have underlined, uh, resist the devil in an arrow, like this is the promise. If I'm successful in resisting the devil, I will come out of it stronger. And this isn't a strange concept, the whole way we, get, we gain strength as people is when we are, re- are working against resistance. If you're athletic, you, uh, you increase your resistance in the gym in order to build muscle. Right? We put more weight on it, or you put a stronger rubber band on it, or whatever system it is that you, you use, you tighten up the resistance, and the result of that is you're strengthened. It's the same in our work against the devil and his influences. As we resist him, we're strengthened. Make sense? Okay. okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I, I, maybe I, I feel like I'm talking fast this morning. This is all fine and good. I can say, hey, resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Like, That's awesome, pastor. How do I do that? What's the devil's schemes? What do you mean he's an influencer and I need to resist him? Like, is everything a devil? Is nothing a devil? Like, what do I do here? And so I wanted to go to a portion of Scripture this morning um, where Jesus is our ultimate example, right? Jesus is our example. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 where the devil tested Jesus in the wilderness. And we're going we're to glean some things from that because we're going to see how the devil operates and we're going to see how Jesus resisted. And from there, that should help give you some context and understanding in how to resist the devil. So in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read uh, straight through verses uh, 1 through 11, and then I'll come down and we'll break it down and and learn some things here. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit, Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. So let's break this down a little bit. First, let me point out uh, just a note that the three temptations uh, that Jesus faced here uh, parallel three temptations the Israelites uh, faced before they came into the promised land. And Jesus actually responds by quoting scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through Deuteronomy chapter 8. So all of his responses come from those two chapters. And if, if you'll look at the, the temptations, they'll parallel with what Israel uh, went through in the wilderness and their exodus out of Egypt, which is super cool. In my book. I mean, I'm a little nerdy that way, but I just love those connections. And let me make a disclaimer. This portion of Scripture has been studied, commented on. There are so many nuggets of information, of truth, of things we can extrapolate from here. Uh, we, I couldn't possibly uh, exhaust it in one service. So we're going to focus on the piece of just how does this relate to you and I and how the devil operates. Okay, so I know there's a lot of information here um, uh, if you're savvy and, and, and you've studied this before. So let's look Matthew chapter 1 uh, four, verses one through three. Uh, Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. This is an important piece to know, because the devil didn't lead Jesus into the wilderness. The spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, So there was a reason. Jesus was being led into, this, into the wilderness, which means there's a reason Jesus was hungry for 40 days and 40 nights. It's important to know that, because the devil didn't make Jesus hungry for 40 days. Uh, it wasn't an accident. Uh, it wasn't God, God's lack of provision for Jesus, and therefore he was hungry. There was, God's will was involved in Jesus' fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. But in the end, which is obvious, if I didn't eat for 40 days... Uh, I might not be alive, but I would definitely be hungry, Uh, and I think, I mean, if I go 40 hours without eating, you know, people might die, so, (laughs) right, I mean, come on, we're all honest here, right, like, 40 days is two full days, if you've ever had to fast because you had a procedure at the hospital or something, like, 24 hours is like, feels like a death sentence, Um, anyway. He, Jesus went 40 days, which is amazing in my book. But he had very real need. And, and it's important for us as we look through these, we often look at Jesus through the lens of his divinity, okay, which means he was God, he is God. And we, and we look through that lens and we say, man, he was fully God, that's amazing, superhuman, all this kinds of stuff, but we forget he was fully human. And so a lot of what we're going to look through this is we're going to look through the lens of Jesus' humanity. He was fully human like you and me. He felt hunger, He felt pain, he had emotions. He had all of the things that you and I work through and struggle with. So he was, had a very real need, and that was hunger. He was hung, hungry. And so the devil comes and says, "Hey, why don't you turn these bread, this bread into, uh, uh, these stones into bread?" And it seems like a harmless temptation. Like, he's God. He could do it. So why is that even a temptation to do? And it's very uh, clear in Jesus' response to us in verse 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Again, lots of stuff we can talk about here, but here's, here's the thing. Jesus is communicating the fact that it was God's will he was out there fasting and the devil was bringing his very real need before him and saying, hey, you have a very real need to eat and you can take care of that. And so where the conflict is is the priority of God's will versus Jesus' need. And if Jesus says, huh, I'm really hungry. I can take care of this on my own. He's prioritizing his need over God's plan for his and purpose for why he's there. And this is a tactic of the of the enemy in your life and in my life. When we understand and we learn God's will, we know what pleases God, and not necessarily just what pleases Him, but what He's established as is right and is as true as followers of Jesus Christ, and what leads us to a, a healthy place as people. When God has established that, and then it seems that a need we have conflicts with that, we are very tempted to prioritize our need above God's will. We go, and we we we've all done it. We've all said, like, certainly God would understand. I I, I need that money to pay my bills. Certainly God would understand. I'm hungry. Certainly God would understand. I'm I'm tired. I need to rest. I don't need to maintain that obligation. Certainly God would understand. And we prioritize our personal needs. In self gratification over God's will for our lives, we reshuffle the priorities. And it's, it's a temptation from, from the devil. Right? What's going to be the priority? You see, Israel faced this in the wilderness when they faced uh, hunger and they faced thirst and they faced an army and they cried out to return to Egypt because they were in danger, because they were hungry, because they were thirsty. Let's thwart God's plan. Let's go back to where we were. We have very real needs. We've all felt this tension between our real needs and God's will. And this is what Jesus addresses it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We looked at this a few weeks ago, right? You could put that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This whole section of Scripture, Jesus teaches that, hey, uh, God knows all the needs you have. And he reminds us, well, look at the sparrows who don't even have places to store food, yet they eat. Look at, look at the flowers of the field. They're beautiful and they have no clothes. Like God knows all these things. You seek God's kingdom first. The other stuff he'll provide. And when we put the other things that we need, if you remember from a few weeks ago, he says, hey, that's what the pagans do. The people who aren't believers, they prioritize their need over everything else. In God's economy, God's kingdom, he says, no, God's will, your need. And when we operate in that way, we're operating really in the sweet spot in God's kingdom. Jesus was able to teach this because this he taught this after his temptation. He was successful in debunking uh, the devil's plan for him to Put his own needs above God's will and plan. Let's move on. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 5, we see the next uh, attack of the devil here. It says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourselves down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. I have, there's so many things I could teach out of this. Okay, the misuse of scripture for personal uh, gain, uh, uh, you know, all of these kinds of things. Um, but this is almost a ridiculous temptation at face value. Who would walk to the highest point of the temple and throw themselves off? Is that even a temptation? Like, stand on the edge of the Grand Canyon, throw yourself off. Like, they would lock you up nowadays if you were thinking those kinds of things. Our understanding of what this whole temptation is about is found in Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus said, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Like, put him to the test? What does he mean? Well, like I said, Jesus' is quote from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8 and this quote comes from verse 16 which says this Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa What happened at Massa? How were they testing God at Massa? Well, Deuteronomy is referring to what happened in Exodus chapter 17 verses 1 and 2 says this the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. And he called wait, wait, um, we missed a verse. Moses replied, "Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test?" So here's the, the story. They're traveling. They have no water. They're complaining. Now, mind you, they have been released from Egypt because of the plagues. They've come through the Red Sea. There's a cloud of uh, during the day and a pillar of fire at night guiding them, and they come to the spot, and there's no water, and they start complaining. And Moses goes to God and says, Hey, the people are complaining. What do you want me to do? God says, Go out, strike the rock. W- water comes out of the rock. All is good. Verse 7. Go ahead, And he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? That's the key here in the temptation. Is the Lord among us or not? Basically, prove yourself, God. Which is what the devil was testing Jesus and Prove that God is who he says he is. He said if you throw yourself off, he would would capture you. He would catch you. He wouldn't let you get hurt. Prove it. Prove him. Make him prove it. Is God really with you or not? Now, to us, we sit here and we say, this is utterly ridiculous on the Israelites. I mean, all the plagues of Egypt, uh, and they were kept from most of them, this leaving with, they plundered the Egyptians. I don't know if you remember that part, but they basically stole the Egyptians' wealth, left, God parts the Red Sea, uh, all these miracles are happening, and then they have no water. And they're like, is God really with us? We're like, that is dumb, right? This is a common tactic of the devil. Getting us to question, is God really with us? And I know all of us have had moments in our life where we go, I don't even know if God knows I exist. I doubt that God even cares. God, do you really even, are you even there? Am I just praying to the air? We have these moments where in our mind we think that God doesn't know our need, that God doesn't see us, that God's not going to be good to, to his word. Or is he even true? For many of us, we go off to, we went off to college when we graduated high school and our belief gets attacked at this very spot. Has God ever proved himself? God, I wish you would just give me a sign so that I can, I can uh, know you. I can know that you're for real and that you're in this. And God's like, do you know how many signs I have given you? How many more do you want? In fact, Jesus uh, responded to this in Matthew chapter 12. I think it's, again, another hysterical uh, hysterical thing. Uh, Jesus is around healing people. He's feeding uh, people with loaves and fish. And then in chapter 12, verse 38, it says, Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Like, That dude had leprosy, that guy was blind, that guy was this, I fed 4,000 people with two fish. Like, you want a sign. Like, what else do you need? And here's Jesus' response. A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He says, the sign is, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise from the dead, I'm going to ascend to heaven. That's the sign you have. Everything else is gravy. If that's not proof enough that he is God, that that he was buried three days in the earth, rose in great power, not only from, from death to life, but ascended into heaven, you say, well, I haven't seen it with my own eyes. Maybe you haven't seen it with your own eyes, but you've experienced the Spirit of God in your life. You've experienced that radical change in your mind as soon as uh, you said yes to Jesus or as soon as you invited Him in, you started thinking different. You started seeing different. You started hearing different. What is that? That's not an accident. That's a sign from God. Right? All of a sudden, your friends around you are like, you're different. You don't talk the same. You don't act the same. That's because that's a sign. Uh, Jesus came in and he's begun to heal you and set your mind right and all of these kinds of pieces. But for some reason, as people, we, we want more. I need another sign. Are you really with me? Because if you're not, I'm going to doubt. Are, God, are you really among us? It's a trick of the devil. It's that that little voice. Did God really say? He's been using this one since Eve. Did God really say, you won't die? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Gets us questioning. It's a common tactic. Does the devil whisper in your ear? Gets you to question, where's God in all this? God, are you even around? Are you even amongst us, amongst me? Are you even... Where are you? Last one we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you'll bow down and worship me. Uh, um, Again, it sounds like a ridiculous thing. Why would Jesus bow down and worship the devil, like it seems like a ludicrous uh, response, but this is classic temptation of of um, right ends by the wrong means. You see, Jesus knew he was going to be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He was God. He, he he knew everything, right? But he's fully human, so he knew everything. But he knew that God's path to get there was meant suffering. Extreme suffering, to be king of kings and lord of lords. And yet here's the devil offering him, hey, you can be king of kings, and you don't have to go through all that suffering. You can just kneel right here and say, I worship you, devil, and it's yours. Hmm. Can accomplish the right right end result by the wrong means. I don't know about you but I've been tempted to take a lot of shortcuts in life. The Devils whispered to my ears, "Hey, you could you could accomplish that differently. It won't be so difficult. It won't be so hard." You see, God's will is often, in fact, he guarantees that it's filled with difficulties and unknowns. And we as a human race, are adverse to that. I don't want difficulty in my life. I'm not going to invite it, that's for sure. I would much rather enjoy a, you know, a sunny day on a mountain peak or a warm day on the beach, right? Like, I'm not going to invite difficulty into my life. So the easy road is often very tempting. Jeez, I could get, I could come up with the same result by a different way, But what happens when we do that? When we sacrifice a different way for the same result, we're no longer serving God. We're serving something else. Because God knows everything. God knows what that difficult road is going to accomplish and what it's not going to accomplish. He knows that that difficult road is going to bring you by people who might need you. That difficult road might do a work in your heart as well as something else. You see, what happened for Jesus is at the end in Matthew 28, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, the devil only had the ability to give him authority on earth, not in heaven, but by Jesus taking the difficult road, he earned himself authority on heaven and on earth. So if he had taken the short road, he would have missed out on his authority in in heaven, which really is the real authority. So when we choose the easy road, when we chose the road that God doesn't have for us, we are defaulting on something we don't know. God said, no, I have this road, this path marked out for you for a reason. Don't short-circuit it. Don't shortcut. Go the difficult path. It's leading you somewhere. It's leading my kingdom somewhere. He has the big picture involved. This is a hard one for us because we think, man, uh, the end—the end justifies the means, right? That's we hear it in business. We hear it all the time, and we may even say it ourselves. But the reality is, God cares deeply about the means to the end, because He doesn't just use, uh, you know, He doesn't just use the fillet. He uses the bones as well, if you know what I'm saying. That analogy didn't carry, did it? <laughs> my, my, my grandma used to make chicken, and she'd make a nice roasted chicken, and we'd enjoy the chicken breasts and all these kinds of things. But then that's not where the chicken ended. The, the, they went in a stock pot, and she used everything from that chicken. And that's what God does with us. He uses everything on our road, the difficulties, the people along the path, the, the, the things that trip us up, the injuries we have along the way. God uses it all for your benefit and for his glory. Jesus was being tempted to short circuit that. Cuz when we employ a means other than God's, we're not we've stopped serving him. We're serving something else or someone else. Whether it's us, the devil, the world, whatever. Jesus's response uh, is, is awesome. Verse 10, he says this Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus has responded that God is the exclusive object of our worship and obedience. Hey, he's like, Devil, I don't, God alone is worthy of my worship and my obedience. You see, the devil seeks to destroy us by severing our relationship with God and our relationship with people. And one way that he does this is by tempting you to do any other will than God's. Your will, the devil's will, your neighbor's will, it doesn't matter. As long as you're not doing God's will, the devil doesn't care. And he's going to whisper. He's going to try to influence you in these ways. So what's our, what's our response? We already read these in the beginning. 1 Peter 5.9, he said this, Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I want to pause here for a minute because uh, it's not in my notes, but that firm um, in the original uh, Greek language, that word was the same word used when something uh, had, like a nut that had ripened and the outer edge had gotten hard and crusty. Firm. It's like the cement uh, around uh, a post. It got firm. So I know we live in a world that talks about, you know, you got to be caring and, you know, go with the flow and these kinds of things. And that's true in some, sense, in some circumstances. But when it comes to your faith, he says, no, no, no. Be crusty hard. Firm. By standing firm, you resist. When you're not firm, you can't resist anything, right? And so that word firm is like, hey, think, think of a post in the ground that's in, in mud or something and you can move it around or when there's concrete around it and it hardens, it can't be moved. Firm. Stand firm in your faith, in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Misery loves company. Like, hey, I draw strength from the fact I'm not the only one suffering, <laughs> Like you're suffering with me, we can do this together. Um, stand firm in the faith. James four seven. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Ephesians six ten and eleven. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Right. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. In all of these, what is being communicated to us? To stand firm in what God has given you. God has given you his word. God has given you your faith. God has given you your salvation. And that's kind of what the armor of God is if you keep reading. It's the things that God has bequeathed you. Your righteousness. Your salvation. Your faith. These are things you hold on to and you stand firm in and you say, just like Jesus did, no, God's my priority over myself. I seek God's kingdom first. No, I'm only obedient to God. He came back at the devil with correct scripture. You stand firm. I said this like last week. We said, uh, like Jesus said to God, what do we say to God? Not my will and not his will either pointing at the devil. Like, I'm not doing my will and I'm not doing his will. I'm doing your will. And that's really the, the standing firm. Let me, let me wrap this up. You see, our will is just our ability to, to make a choice. It's our ability to take the things that influence us and make a choice. And sometimes we, we make statements like, ah, oh, the devil made me do it. Um, That might be true as far as the devil influencing you, but you made the decision. And you probably weren't strong enough because you haven't modified the other influencers around you. And so therefore, you're, you're weak in that area or in that whatever. And so God would call us to modify the influencers around it so we can make good choices and stand firm in them. How do you modify? I mean, there's a whole. Uh, we could be here all, all day. You modify what you think. You you take captive thoughts. You think on what is good and what is true and what is lovely. You forgive easy. You quickly. You seek peace. You lean on the Lord. You you give blessings instead of cursings. Like you modify these things, and then you're strengthened to be able to respond to the Lord. what influences our will, the things we think, our body, our social context, our communities we live in, the cultures we grew up in, the family of origins, all these kinds of things. And the devil's a very real influencer. He'll try to speak to you and play off your weaknesses and these kinds of things to get you to do any will other than God's. And by doing so, he destroys you by breaking and severing the relationships you have, spiritual relationship as well as earthly relationships. He does this through encouraging you to prioritize your needs above God's. He does this by questioning God and demanding that God prove Himself. He does this by encouraging us to avoid the difficulties that are involved in doing God's will. I say, we tell the devil, I'm not doing your will either. If I can't do my will, I'm definitely not doing your will. Right? <laughs> and I'm going to work to not do it. I'm going to recognize the devil's voice in my life and where he's prodding me. You see those moments of weakness when you're like, where's God when I needed him? That's the devil whispering in your ear. Is God really among us? When, when God's asking you to, uh, to do something for him or walk a certain way, and in your mind you start thinking of your very real needs that don't seem that are going to get met if you do that. That's the devil whispering in your ear. Hey, hey, you have real needs. Don't do what God wants you to do. You've got to take care of you. You've got to take care of your family. Now we can talk, there's wisdom in these kinds of things. I'm not talking extre- this crazy extremism. When God asks you to do something, the only thing you can think of are all the difficulties with that. That could be the devil whispering in your ear. Let's recognize him for who he is. Let's come back at him like Jesus did, standing firm in our faith with with Scripture and say, no, it's God first, right priorities. Resist him. The more often you do that, the stronger you will get. You'll be strengthened And then you'll find yourself easily doing God's will, where at one point in your life it was it was difficult climb. I think as we leave this week, just my my prayer for you would be this: is that you would begin to recognize uh, in your life the things that are influencing your will, your your choices, and modify those so that they line up with God, whether they come from the devil whether they come from the way you think, or even if they come from your own personal needs within your your body. And I don't mean like needs like just food and water and shelter. I mean needs like love. Companionship. These are very real needs. God exists in, in a trinity. There's community in God. We need each other. And when you don't have community with someone alone, The devil can come in and and say, hey, you know, we're apt to maybe leave church or compromise God's best for us because we have this very real need for love or companionship. See it all the time. All the time. Let's recognize it and let's, let's stand against the devil's schemes. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Uh, that you came and you, you, know, you come and you give us all these things we don't deserve, this, this grace and this mercy and the salvation and the faith, and you strengthen us with resources, your Holy Spirit. Um, you give us a community of believers. You, you really uh, give us everything that we need. In fact, Second Peter chapter 1 tells us you've given us everything we need for a godly life. But Lord, we recognize that there's a lot of influences on our, on our choices. And so, Lord, we'd ask that you would help us recognize those influences. And the ones that are influencing us in a way that takes us from your will, we ask that you'd help us modify that. Make the necessary changes so that we would be strengthened. Lord, when we when it's the devil whispering in our ear, we pray for the strength of, of Jesus to come within us and be able to find scripture and stand and say no God is a priority God is here even if I can't see him I'm not going to avoid the difficult path God has me here for a reason Lord help us give us the, the courage and give us the strength to recognize these things and be able to say like Jesus not my will but your will Lord, we praise you today. I pray, Lord, for uh, the folks that are here in person or watching online, Lord, that your spirit would go with us and remind us of the things that you've taught and said. Remind us, Lord, that you're with us always. I pray, Lord, for for just the healing, Lord, of, of broken places in us, whether they be spiritual, emotional, physical. We trust and we lean on you, Lord as our last song we, we sang today in our, in our worship time, Jesus, Jesus. May, Lord, you grow to be at the center of all we do and of who we are. We praise you and we bless you in your holy name. Amen. Amen, church. Great to see you. God bless you. I'm available if you if you need anything. Uh, there's some coffee. In